Jesus is John 3, 22 through 33. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, you can be seated. Um, how many of you have, it might not have been recently, but maybe when you're in high school or college, and you were working an odd job, maybe rather than a career with a salary and things like that. Um, how many of you have worked a job where you felt like maybe you didn't earn a fair wage? I could go either way. Maybe you worked way harder than uh, the pay uh, showed, or maybe the other way around. I know in, in my own life, I've, I've been blessed with opportunities to work uh, for family a lot, and oftentimes family paid me a lot more than I was worth. Um, there was actually one time, and this wasn't even my family, but I went to, when I was in college, um, I had a connection to this girl that lived in California, and her family couldn't come help her move in and out of campus every semester. And so um, her mother contacted, or her friend actually, the girl contacted me, and I got in touch with her mother, and we helped her move into this storage unit. Uh, and the first time this happened, I was really shocked. Um, it took us two hours to do this job. Um, it was, we were most of the time in the air conditioning. We may have sweat a little just because it was um, May, uh, and it was, and we're in Oklahoma, so in May it's already almost 100 degrees most of the time. Um, but we finished this two-hour job, and she paid me and my buddy $100 each for two hours of work. Uh, so I really felt like I did not earn that wage. I felt like um, maybe $10, or maybe she could have bought us a Sonic drink, and that would have been plenty. Uh, I would have done it as a friend, so... Um, but, but getting paid $100 made me really feel almost guilty that I had been paid um, more than I felt like was a fair wage. And on the flip side of that same coin, um, working for my dad, um, not like working for your grandparents or working for your aunts and uncles who would probably tend to overpay, um, but working for your dad, um, as I learned more things, I feel like I got paid adequately. But early on, um, I got stuck doing a lot of the not-so-fun jobs because I didn't have any skills and I was a small person. Um, so, for example, um, we do, my dad does construction, um, he works on properties that he owns and he rents them out, and uh, so he does all of his own, pretty much everything. We live in a small town, there's not as much 
coding and you don't have to be as regulated and things like that. So we do our own plumbing and we do our own electric and we do a lot of those things. And so um, a lot of times in plumbing, you've probably called a plumber before and thought, that's a lot of money just for him to come fix a leak. Uh, but it's not always a fun job. <laughs> uh, plumbing is one of those things that it can be clean and easy if you're dealing with new stuff, but if you're dealing with, with old pipes, particularly drain lines, it can be disgusting and nasty. Um, and so I remember this one incident where after school, these people had a, a, a leak in their house, um, or actually their drains were backed up into their house and they didn't really know what was going on. Um, and they were going to call a plumber, but they called my dad first to make sure that was okay. And he said, no, I've got some guys that will take care of it for you, which was me and my friend. And I think I was in the eighth grade. Um, and we had to crawl underneath this house. And I don't know if you've crawled under a house. Some of you probably have. But um, the house that we were crawling under was probably about 18 inches off the ground. So you can't really crawl on your hands and knees or even really your elbows. You kind of have to army crawl on your chest um, and drag your chin through the, the dirt. And uh, so we get under this house, and um, when you first crawl under, you couldn't really tell what the problem was. It was pretty dry, and it's dark. Um, but upon maybe five or ten feet of crawling, it got wet, uh, and we knew that there was some kind of uh, stink. And so we kind of concluded from those two observations that it was probably a drain line had busted under the house or had been clogged, started leaking at a joint. So um, in, in plumbing, I don't know if this is normal, but what we do in plumbing, instead of wearing like a tool belt, since you're crawling on your stomach a lot, we have these trays that you push around under the house and you put all your tools in it and stuff like that. Well, when we get to the pipe, we see where it's leaking. We, um, we're, we're eighth graders, so we didn't think very far through this. Um, but we find the joint that's leaking, um, and so we're like, well, we'll cut it out, we'll get a new piece of pipe, and we'll put two new fittings on it. It should be simple. Well, the pipe was clogged, which is why it had built up some pressure and was leaking. So there were still fluids and solids in the pipe. Um, and we cut through it with a sawzall, which is, can be messy even if there's not water involved. Um, and it, it was disgusting. And when the pipe finally came apart, our trays of tools filled up with sewage. Um, and it was stinky and terrible. And it probably took us, I don't know, two and a half hours, three hours. And we got out, and we got paid minimum wage for that job. Uh, so I would much rather move someone in and out of a dorm for two hours and make $100 than uh, do the, the plumbing job and make minimum wage. Um, but I say that because uh, this last couple weeks at First Church, as Leslie kind of mentioned, has been chaotic and crazy. And I, I really feel like I earned my wages this week, uh, these last two weeks. Um, and I'm going to come back to that, so keep that kind of in your mind, that I, I really feel like I earned, I earned my money. It belonged to me. I felt like that was the case. Um, so I'm going to read a, a bit of the text that Sharon read earlier. Um, but I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, which I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, it's a little more and a little less um, like word-for-word -word translation, so it might be kind of hard to follow in your Bible, but if you just listen uh, to the stories I read it, um, I'm going to start in verse 22 of the third chapter of John, and it says, Then Jesus and his disciples went out for a length of time into the Jude Judean countryside, where they were baptizing the people. At this time, John was still baptizing people at Anon, near Salim, where there was plenty of water, and the people kept coming for John to baptize them. And this was before John was thrown into prison. That seems pretty obvious. Um, and, and an argument that developed between John's disciples and a particular Jewish man about baptism. So they went to John and they asked him, Teacher, are you aware that the one you told us about at the crossing place, he's now baptizing, even with larger crowds than yours. People are flocking to him. What do you think about that? Then John answered him, A person cannot receive even one thing unless God bestows it. You heard me tell you before that I'm not the Messiah, but certainly I'm the messenger sent ahead of him. He is the bridegroom, 
and the bride belongs to him. I'm the friend of the bridegroom who stands nearby and listens with great joy to the bridegroom's voice. And because of his words, my joy is complete and overflows. So it's necessary for him to increase and for me to diminish. So John kind of sets up this metaphor where he almost places himself in the role of like a best man um, of Jesus as he prepares to marry the bride, the church. So he stands by as the bride shares his vows with the church and the church shares their vows with Christ. And he's filled with joy because that's what's supposed to happen. Um, this day is not about him. He has to take, a, take the side seat, even though maybe at this, this wedding, he did a lot of the preparation while the groom was at the bachelor party and having a good time. And he did a lot of work preparing for this moment. But this moment's not about him. It's about Jesus and what he's doing. So John really recognized that about himself. Um, but I really want to hone in on verse 27, which I think it's, I don't know, Hardy probably read the, the text because I, I think he knew maybe before um, I, I got up here to preach. But he mentioned in the offering that it's a good reminder to know that nothing that we possess belongs to ourselves. But just exactly as John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless God bestows it. Um, so let's go, let's backtrack to my introduction where I told you that I really feel like I earned my wages here at First Church the last couple weeks. Um, so we get paid on Thursdays, and on Thursday, I left to go home for a couple days. It's Labor Day weekend. My family was having a big get-together. Obviously, we had to be back for Sunday, so it was a quick trip. We left Thursday night, uh, drove until 10 or 11 at night, and then we had a day and a half, and it was a blast. Um, but literally, on our drive home on Thursday, and I had just gotten paid right before I left the church, and I, I was proud of that check that I had earned. Um, we were in Wichita Falls, which is halfway between home and here for me and Caitlin. And we get out to eat dinner, and um, we ate at McAllister's, and we're, we're headed to the car. And this guy, um, it was pretty obvious, he was a homeless guy. He was, had a bike, and he had all of his belongings in his basket of his bike. Um, and he, he said, hey, can you spare some change? And I used this classic uh, make myself feel okay about myself way to blow him off. I said, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash on me, which was true. Um, but I wasn't really looking to go above and beyond. I had other things on my mind. I was, I, I was proud of the money I had earned, and I was ready to go see my family. Um, and then this homeless guy did something that, like, it shook me. It really did. He reaches in his pocket. He pulls out $21, and he says, here's 20 bucks. Um, will you go get me a tent? He gave me everything he had because um, he trusted me. I don't know why. So I went and got him this tent, and... Uh, I don't know, the whole time I was just thinking like, I saw this guy and I developed this notion about him and I, I wasn't even willing to give him $5 or to go into McAllister's and buy him a meal because I was clinging to what I had because I felt like I earned it. But someone had probably given him this $20. He didn't earn his $20 and he was willing to give it away um, in return for blessing, which he kind of expected of me. And I feel like sometimes... Uh, we don't treat God that way. God gives us things. Uh, he blesses us. And we're not willing to, to give it back in exchange for more blessing in return. And uh, this isn't really even the, the meat of my message, but I felt like I wanted to share that story. Um, and I picked this passage before this happened, and I felt like it was just meant, meant to be. Um, so what? this is pre-message um, response time. <laughs> What has God given you that you're clinging to as if you earned it? And you maybe even did earn it by the worldly standards. And it doesn't have to be money. Um, although 
I get the sense that in most American churches, that's probably the number one thing that comes to our mind. That's kind of where we're focused. That's our center, um, central focus almost at all times is money. Um, so it very well could be money, but I'm not going to go into all the things that it could be because I'm not trying to accidentally call someone out for something because I don't, I don't know what your thing is that you cling to as if it's yours. Um, but there is something in your life that you're proud of earning, and, and rightly so. You, sh- you should be proud of, of your accomplishments, but the reality is what John says. A person can't receive even one thing if it's not bestowed on you by God. So our possessions don't belong to us, um, and that's, that's what giving is. It's not tithing 10% is not giving 10% of what we earn to God. It's giving 10% of what God's given us back to him so that he'll continue to bless us. Um, in other words, nothing belongs to us. That's pre, pre-message message right there. All right, so we're going to keep reading this text. We're going to go on to John chapter 3, verse 32 through 33. Um, still from the Passion Translation. He says, actually, I'll start in verse 31, because verse 32 is kind of in the middle of this statement. It says, For the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks from the natural realm. But the one who comes from above is above everything and speaks of the highest realm. His message is about what he has seen and experienced, even though the people don't accept it. Yet those who do embrace his message know in their hearts that this is the truth. So the people John's talking about, the ones that did have faith, they had to ask themselves a question. Um, and, And the question wasn't maybe what you think it is. So what they were hearing Jesus talk about, the ones who did believe him and the ones who didn't believe him, they had not experienced these things. They had not experienced living into the kingdom of God um, because Jesus had come to usher in the kingdom, and this isn't too far into the life of Jesus. We're only in John chapter 3. So the kingdom of God was still a very new concept to them, and so they hadn't really experienced this spiritual realm that Jesus is talking about, and which is oftentimes why he catches them off guard, and in fact, that's why he got killed. So the question's not if they believed in the things Jesus was talking about, even though that seems like on the surface level that's the obvious question. Do you believe in peace? Do you believe in mercy and justice and sacrificing your own possessions to help others? But that's not the real question that they had to ask themselves. That's not what faith is. The question they had to ask was, do we trust Jesus? Because when someone's telling you about something that you've never experienced, you you have no grounds to say whether it's true or not, except for based on the testimony of the person you're hearing it from. So they might have been asking questions like, well, what has this guy done to prove that he's trustworthy? Um, and we're only in John chapter 3, so we're not very far into it. But, um, but if he has proven that he's trustworthy, so the few people who do believe and receive his message and know that it's the truth had probably witnessed Jesus doing something or had witnessed God in their lives doing something to fulfill a promise to them. And they recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And so they knew he was trustworthy. And even though they didn't understand the things Jesus was talking about, they believed in him because they had faith in Jesus because he had proven his trustworthiness to them already. And if they didn't believe it, it's because they didn't trust that Jesus was really the Messiah. In fact, John's own disciples were still not sure. And John had told them blatantly, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one sent before the Messiah, preparing the way And the prophecy had spoken about John in that way as well. And they still didn't believe. They thought maybe John was still the Messiah or that he was Elijah or a prophet or something like that. And so they they had not witnessed Jesus doing anything to prove to them that he's trustworthy. And so they could not believe 
the things he was telling them because they hadn't experienced it themselves. Now we're going to flip in our Bibles a little farther forward to a letter that Paul wrote to the Hebrews uh, in chapter 11, verse 1. And if I said Hebrews 11, probably like 90% of you know what the content of that chapter is. They call it the Great Hall of Faith. It's just this long list of examples of people who had faith in God. Um, and, and it's phenomenal. I'm not going to read the whole chapter right now. But if you read the whole chapter, you'll see this logic that I'm trying to lay out at play the entire time. So Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is, I don't know, I, I think that it's the only straightforward definition of faith in the Bible. Like, like Pastor Leslie's been talking about James, gives us lots of practical ways to apply faith. And we talk about faith all the time, but it's kind of in this vague notion. But as far as like a definition of the word in the Bible, this is the only one you're going to find. Is Hebrews 11 verse 1. And it says, now faith is what brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Now, to me, that sounds a lot like what John's trying to say about Jesus. He's talking about these things that he's the only one who has seen them. We haven't seen them. We, they're, they're the things unseen. They're, they're the things that we can't believe in unless we have faith in who Jesus is, that the person that's telling us about them. Um, and then, as I said earlier, a list of testimonies follow that statement in Hebrews 11, verse 1, that proves this quality of faith. Um, and it's, it's literally such a long list that Paul, at the end, just says, I don't even have time to mention da -da -da -da, all these other people. Um, but he goes into detail about some of the other ones. Um, my notes are a little bit jumbled. But, so, so we see in, in the stories that Paul tells, he talks about Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham had already experienced the blessings of God before God promised him a son. Um, at least before, like, a really pointed promise of a son. He had promised him blessing and a nation to follow, but he didn't really know what that was going to look like. And you've all, you all probably know the story. Abraham's, like, 100 years old, and his wife is close to the same age. Um, and so in their minds, they couldn't wrap their head around this idea that they were going to have a son, and that from that son there would be generations um, to follow. But Abraham and Sarah, although it wasn't immediately that they trusted, they, they tried to take care of it on their own and other things, but ultimately when they come around to trusting God, it's, it's because of the things God had already done for them. God had already blessed Abraham. They had already traveled the land and acquired land and resources, and Abraham was already a powerful person. I mean, he clearly had... Um, his wife had maid servants, and he had servants probably as well. Um, so they were already wealthy, and they were already blessed. And the only reason that they could trust in what God promised them was because they looked back, and they asked the same question that they asked about Jesus. Is God trustworthy? Has God done anything to prove his trustworthiness? And if the answer is yes, which for, for Abraham and David and Moses and Solomon and Noah and the list that Paul um, lists and doesn't necessarily go into detail about, the answer to that question was, yes, of course. We've been blessed abundantly by our Creator, so we're willing to trust the promises even though it doesn't necessarily make sense to us because the person who's telling us these things is trustworthy. Uh, and so that is where their faith comes from. And these two points, so I kind of said this is like pre-sermon and sermon, but these two points really do go together um, because Abraham probably felt like he had earned a son by being faithful to God, whatever his... Uh, criteria were for him earning that, 
he felt like Isaac belonged to him. He wasn't God's possession. And so when God says, or he was God's possession, but Abraham probably didn't think that way uh, at first when God said, go sacrifice him. He probably thought, that's my only son through my actual wife. He already had uh, Ishmael, but, but this is his promised son, and now you have to go sacrifice him. Abraham probably felt some ownership over Isaac uh, and was a little bit hesitant, but, but he went ahead and did it. Noah had to leave behind not his immediate family, but his brothers and cousins and aunts and uncles uh, and his friends. He had to leave them behind to die to get on this boat, and I'm sure that was hard, and he probably uh, would not have trusted God if God had not already been so faithful to him. Moses had to leave high status as a son of Pharaoh, um, an illegitimate son, but nevertheless royalty. He had to leave this high status, leave Egypt, come back, take the status of a slave in order to fulfill the promise that God had, had promised him. And it's, it's because God had already blessed him by saving his life. He was born in a time where Pharaoh was dumping baby boys into the Nile and his life was spared. And so God had already blessed Moses abundantly. So he was able to have faith in what God was telling him. And all of that is in order to receive the promise. If God is faithful to us, then when God promises us something that doesn't necessarily make sense, um, we, should be, we should still have faith in God because of the things that he has done through history. And the craziest part of all of it is that most of those stories, Abraham, Noah, Moses, David, Solomon, they don't end in the main character of the story getting to see the promise all the way through. So Abraham, he never really saw his descendants become as numerous as the stars. He was blessed with the sun, so he knew it was possible. But when Abraham died, the, the nation of Israel was still very small. It, it was really just a family. It wasn't even really a nation yet. Moses never got to enter the promised land, but Joshua did. David never got to see the construction of the temple. But Solomon did. You might not get to see God triumph in whatever battle it is that you're focusing on, but the track record of God says that if you remain faithful and instill in the generations to come that same kind of faithfulness, someone is going to see that victory. Because God is faithful and he has proven himself to be faithful. We can look back on all of the things God has done if you need a reminder, read Hebrews chapter 11 or, or talk to most of the people in this church who have seen the promises of God be fulfilled um, if you need that testimony. Um, and so I, I just want to speak encouragement that if you're going through a hard time, remember that God is faithful. God has proven himself to be trustworthy. And we can believe in the promises, in the promises of God. If you would pray with me. God, I pray that you would make us aware that, that our possessions, our things that seem to belong to us, are not really ours. They're yours. They're, they're blessings that you have bestowed upon us so that we can bless you and bless the people we come and encounter with. God, I pray that we can recognize that you are trustworthy. God, I pray that we can hear the stories of Jesus being resurrected from the grave and that that would be encouragement and that that would be good enough for us to have faith in the promises you have for us today. Because surely if you created the world and raised Jesus from the dead, you can do anything. God, create in us a desire um, to seek out 
the craziest promises you have for us and have faith in them. God, because if we limit ourselves by what we're capable of coming up with, then the church is going to be founded on the power of humans and not the power of God. God, I pray for the leadership of your spirit in this church and in, in the universal church. God, I just pray that you would fill the leaders and fill the lay people just to, to take ownership of our faith, not to take ownership of our possessions, but to take ownership of our faith and our reliance on you. God, it, we are so distant oftentimes from having to rely on you to provide for us because the American dream tells us we can do anything we put our mind to, but God, that is only because you have blessed us. God, I just pray for revival and reliance on who you are and not on who we are. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.